So let's jump into the, the marriage series. What do we do now? Go with me to Matthew chapter 19. I want to show you what Jesus says about marriage. And by the way, this is chapter 19. He's getting very close to the cross. Get this now. He's getting very close to the cross. In only a few chapters, he's going to be arrested. He's getting very close to the cross. And watch this. Jesus is still talking about marriage. Tell me it's not important to God. He's still talking about marriage in chapter 19. Watch this. Verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied. They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. And he said, this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. And the two are united into one. Since they are no longer two, but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Now, that last portion is a very strong statement in scripture. It's as if God is saying this, what I joined together Nobody better ever break it apart. You got to hear the scriptures right. Think about it this way. If God put his effort, energy, and spoke the word over marriage, and his intentions were to bring us together, then he's going to be very protective about his workmanship. Amen? He's going to be very guarded. He's going to be very serious. He's going to be very defensive about this thing that he's created. God created the institution of marriage between a man and a woman. He said the man's going to, and they're going to lead their parents and they're going to come together. Now watch this. In this scripture, when the Bible says that they leave their parents, that's a very strong word that means they abandon their parents. God designed it so that a man and a woman would abandon their parents. What does that mean? That means that there's no more ties. There's no more source from the parents. In other words, I'm stepping out on my own and I'm joining with the next person. That means you can tell your mother-in-law and father-in-law that y'all don't belong here no more. Get out of my business. (laughs) But are you seeing it? We've abandoned our parents and now we're joining together. Now, the word joining or uniting in this scripture literally uses the word glued. So watch this. Come see, Cheryl. I'm going to use my family this morning. I'm going to try my best not to embarrass them. Y'all stay there. I didn't call you up yet. You haven't been created yet. So, So I abandoned my mom and dad, and Cheryl abandoned her mom and dad, and we met And she fell madly in love with me, couldn't keep her hands off of me. You know how the story goes. And so so we came together in holy matrimony before God and before man. We made a declaration to the world that we now belong to one another. Okay? What God did was God came in between us and he smeared some glue right here. It's it's his intentions. He put some super glue between us. And it's, it's intended for us to stay together. And the only remedy for the glue is death. <laughs> I'll get you some of that. The only way I get unstuck from her, watch this, is death. That's what the Bible says. So we're glued together now. We're enjoying life. Everything's good, man. We're having a good time. We're intimate. And all of a sudden, these little things start popping up around us. Come on. Come on, these little furry creatures start popping up, right? And then before you know, we got this whole household, right? And so the tendency is, is because they're so cute that we want to just take them and we want to glue with them, right? And we want to pull them in. Come on, you glue too. Come on, don't don't sit like an outcast. 
Okay, don't let the devil lie to you this morning. We're glued together. That's the tendency, right? Is to glue together. Man, I got a united family. We're glued together. No. Watch this. God's word says that we are glued. They're not. His intentions are that we would begin to push them out. That they would abandon us. Watch this. And go get glued to somebody else. You follow me? This is the only permanent relationship. Now, you got to wrap your head around this. I know you love your babies. Oh, but that breaks my heart. Listen to me. They're going to break your heart anyway. Because one day, even if you don't kick them out, they're going to leave. Because when they find the one, you're going to become the nun. Okay? And they're going to just walk on out of your life, and you're going to be like, <gasps> it's going to happen. So you just soon stay glued right here. Watch this. Some people are scared to death of the day when it's just this. You know why? Because somehow or another, your kids got in the middle of your marriage and your marriage has been centered and built around your children and not each other. And that was God, never God's plan. Love your kids, train your kids, disciple them, lead them in the way they're supposed to go, but don't get glued to them. Amen. This is the only permanent relationship that we have. Now, the Bible says at the end of that, that portion of scripture, Jesus says, and let no one, since the two have become one, let no one say no one. Let no one separate us. Now, most of the time we think of that as an outside source coming in, trying to bring division between us. It's me and her. This applies to Cheryl and Jamie. He's saying to Cheryl and Jamie, let neither one of you separate what I've put together. Are you seeing this? So no one applies to me also. You see it? Shake your heads or I'm going to keep beating it up. Okay, you see it. So this is the only permanent relationship on the planet. And the only way out is by death. Can I get a better amen? Okay, thank you, baby. Y'all like her shirt? I like her shirt. She asked me if it looked good. I said, yes. Actually, she asked me if it was a summer shirt, and I said, I can't answer that question. (laughs) And we'll get into that in a minute. (laughs) The most permanent relationship in society is not between parents and children, but it's between the husband and the wife. Jesus gives a very stern warning to not let anyone come between us. So that we've been glued together, baby. Listen to me. You're intended to be glued together. Now, some of you are sitting here this morning going, Pastor, the glue's getting weak. I understand. We're going to reapply some glue today. Amen? We're going to reapply some glue. We're going to see God stick this thing out and stick it to back together and, and make it all good again. Now, With that said, at times in our life, our children have tried to come in between us. Come on, you know how little boys are and little girls are. Little boys, they rub up against their mama and they put a little butter on mama's bread. And if you're not careful, your little boy manipulates you into disagreeing with your husband on something that you were supposed to be agreed upon. And then the little girls, they get up next to daddy and they roll them eyes and they bat them eyes. And, you know, the daddy goes, oh, gosh. He just automatically pulls out his wallet. 
But if you're, care, if you're not careful, your children will try to get in between you. Now, we put a stop to that at, a, at, a, at an early age. We were like, oh, no, Jack, you ain't coming in between this. One good way to keep your kids away from you is to make out in the kitchen. I'm talking about lay some tongue on that woman. French kiss, baby. What's wrong with you? You French kiss, them kids are going to take off running. Oh, you're sick. Oh. And you just look at me and go, you're going to be sick one day too. But we're going to give you something to keep you from getting sick till the right time. Right? But occasionally the kids will try to get in between us. But watch this. Our, our real enemy or the real reason that we get into fights is not because of the kids. It's because of Cheryl and me. Y'all see how I did that? Just enough to get in trouble, but then I pulled out. It's between us. We're the reason. We're the cause. Listen to me. The devil can't make you do anything unless you let him. That was a good place to say amen. I don't care what you said. I just say amen, Pastor John. I'm going to amen myself. So to answer the question, what do we do now? I feel like I need to teach you how to fight. Not how to fight fair. I don't want to teach you how to fight against your your spouse fair. I just don't think that's right. I don't want to teach you how to fight fair when you get into a tiff. I don't want to teach you all that. I want to teach you how to quit fighting and start fighting the right enemy. Is that okay this morning? Because listen to me, if you'll change your focus and you'll fight the right enemy and not the wrong person, then this whole thing's going to get a whole lot better real quick. Amen? So there's a real enemy. There's a real weapon. There's a real warfare going on, and you need to be aware of that. And so I want to teach you how to fight this morning. And by the way, I'm going to teach you how to fight dirty. Some of you could probably teach me how to fight dirty, but I'm going to teach you how to fight dirty this morning. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 6. <clears throat> the Bible's very clear. You know God loves us. You know God loves us so much that he gives us everything we need for life and godliness. That's what the scriptures say. God loves us so much that he wrote it in this book. He wrote it in this book and he gave it to us. And we're not in China where you got to smuggle this thing in. We're in the United States of America where there's five or six of them on the average in every household. The problem is, is you can have the weapons in the house, but if you never use them, they're useless. You follow me? God's given us everything we need right here in in his Bible, in his word. But if we never read it, if we never open it, we never get it. Ephesians chapter six, let's go to verse 12. Watch this. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So watch this. Number one, do not fight with your spouse. Thank you, Andy. I appreciate that. Do not fight with your spouse. Why? Because it's not a flesh and blood battle. It's not flesh and blood. My battle is not with this beauty. My battle is with the spiritual demons, the spiritual 
warfare that's going on in my life. It's the evil spirits in the heavenly realms that I'm battling against. And listen to me. You can sit and say, oh, that's kind of kooky and weird, Pastor. Well, you go ahead on and believe that and keep getting yourself defeated. But the Bible says there's a real enemy. And there's a real battle. And it's not intended to be right here. It's intended to be here. It's not flesh and blood. But boy, it sure manifests in the flesh, don't it? Huh? I wonder how it does that. I wonder, because you know, I can sit here and preach, you know, it's not a flesh and blood battle. And then I could get home this afternoon or right after church, and we, we could be in a knockdown drag out like that. I mean, it just takes one bad look, one stupid comment. It's over with, bro. I may be calling them up at Pastor Bubba, man. You meet with us. Who knows? It manifests in the flesh, right? We're not fighting a flesh and blood battle. But against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Wow. Isn't that good? That means, that means I can like my spouse? Yeah. That means you really can. You can like them. You know, it's one thing to love them. Me and Cheryl will always love one another, but there's days that we just don't like one another. So when we've been in a fight, I look at her and go, you love me? She goes, "Mm mm-hmm. Do you like me? Hmm. Right? There's a real battle going on. We need to be aware of it. You may be asking a question this morning, how does that flesh out? How does this battle flesh out? Anybody asking that question this morning? Anybody wondering? If not, I'll stop right now. Thank you. I appreciate it. Ball-headed brothers, stay together. How does it flesh out? How does this spiritual warfare get into the flesh and blood of my life? What do I do now? Okay, so the enemy can't make me do anything, right? The devil cannot force me to do anything, right? Come on, I need some participation real quick. Can the devil make you do something? No. Can he use you? He can only use you when you let him. The Bible says that we are called to resist him. Watch what it says in James Chapter four, verse seven and eight. So humble yourselves before God, period. Resist the devil and he will flee from you, period. Come close to God and he will come close to you. So watch this. The Bible, James actually says, first off, to humble yourself before God. Then he says to resist the devil. Well, why is that? Why not resist the devil and then humble yourself before God? So watch this. So let's say I'm at work or anywheres, or maybe you're at home and you're raising kids or you're taking care of a household. Lord bless you. 
But let's say you're just doing your thing and the enemy starts to lie to you. How many of you have heard the enemy lie to you? Come on, somebody, get real. He's lying to you. Oh, they don't love you. Oh, you ain't no good. Oh, you put on too much weight. Oh, they're not attracted to you. Right? He starts lying to you. If you let him torment you all day long, you will sooner or later start believing those lies. And then your emotions are going to get out of control. And if unchecked, your emotions are going to drive you to do something that's in the flesh and blood. So watch this. So if I've got all the enemies coming after me, he's attacking me at work, or I'm stressed out, or whatever, you you name it for whatever it is. If I don't battle against him, and I don't kill and destroy him, I take that junk home with me, and I take it out on her. When James says to humble yourself before God, you know what he's saying? Take it to God before you take it out on her or him. I'll give you a for instance. I was a teenage boy about Ethan's age. We were playing baseball in the backyard at my house, and I was pitching. And at the time, there was a kid bigger than me that was batting. And I wind up, and I give him the best pitch I got. And he hits the ball. And he line drives it to me. Now, it hit me right between the legs. (laughs) Tell me about it. You should have been there. I immediately lost my breath. I fell on the ground grasping for air or gasping. I couldn't speak. At one point, I think my eyes rolled back in my head. I thought I was dying. Come on, man. Can I get an amen? I thought I was dying. My mom hears what's going on. Watch this. My mom hears what's going on. She comes running out. Why? Because she loves her little boy. She comes running out. She sees me on the ground. All my partners are standing over like, is he going to live? And she comes and she goes, what happened? And one says, I hit him between the legs. And she goes and she grabs my pants to open them up. And I went, no! No! It's kind of awkward, right? You probably feel real awkward hearing that story about me. You should have been on the ground with your mama trying to open your pants. You talk about awkward with all your buddies standing right there. Watch this. We're the same way with God. When the enemy shoots one at us and we take one and he comes rushing in to care for us, we'll get up in pride and we'll go, no, I got it. I got it. No, I'm okay. Are you seeing this? When you're getting frustrated and you're getting aggravated and the enemy's been tormenting you all day and he's got you wound up like a cheap clock, you go home and you kick the dog and then you take it out on the kids and the wife instead of taking it to God first. The reason James said to humble yourself was because you need to take care of your business with God first before you take your business home. Can I get a better amen? God's intentions are that you go to him. And you know, the Bible says that we can lament. You know what lament means? I'm going to give it to you very simple. Lament means to tell God how it feels, why it feels, and what it feels like. When you read Psalms and Proverbs, it's David lamenting to God. David said statements like this. You caused my enemy to ride over my head. You caused me to go through the flood. You caused me to go through the fire. Listen to me. 
We serve a real God who's given us these real emotions, who can relate to us. And he never once intended for us to polish it all up and bring it to him. He never once wanted you to get all your business straight and go to him and say, you know, know, Lord, I was really angry today. You know what I've learned? That don't work. You know how it works for me? Is when I'm getting ready to punch somebody in the teeth, I need to just step back and go, Lord, you better take them. Or you better take me. Because I'm about to hit somebody. I'm mad. Oh, I'm mad. I'm being serious. And I bring my frustration to him. Watch this. You know what he does? He listens. He's a good guy. Mm-hmm. 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 And then he begins to speak truth over you. And he begins to wash you with his words. And he begins to help you see the whole scenario different. And he changes your perspective. And he transforms you in that moment so that you can take this baggage you got and offload it on him. That's why the Bible says to cast your cares upon him because he cares for you. If you don't ever cast your cares, he don't ever get to care for you. So you're left uncared for. But then you're going to go home and expect your wife to feel sorry for you. I am responsible for my own spiritual battle. The armor that God gives me is for me. Cheryl is responsible for her own spiritual battle. Now, with that said, I can cover her and she can cover me. And we should cover one another. You with me? Most of you here have a loaded gun in your bedroom. Most of you guys, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands because I don't want, in case there's a burglar in here. He goes, when that guy didn't raise his hand, I'm going to get his goods. I'm, I'm protecting you. Most of you got a pistol or a gun loaded in your house ready for somebody to come into your house and mess with your stuff for your family. Most of you got a Bible in your house that got so much dust on it you can't even get to it. And you're letting the spiritual demons, the spiritual burglars come into your house and mess with you and torment you and turn your life upside down. And you're sitting there holding on to your pistol. You can't shoot a spirit. You can't fight a spiritual battle with a natural weapon. You're going to fight a spiritual battle, baby. You better have this right here. Are you hearing me? It's better to unload your pistol and load and download the Bible. The Bible says, don't worry about who can take your flesh and blood, but worry about who can kill your spirit. Are you seeing this? Too many times we sit around and we let the enemy torment us and torment us and torment us and torment us. And And our emotions go unchecked. Our feelings go unchecked. We own a, they, they call it bipolar. One day we're up, the next minute we're down. One day we're over here, the next minute we're over there. Why? Why does it get like that? You ever watch a boxing match? And the guy that's getting beat, 
They used to call it getting him on the ropes. Oh, he got him on the ropes. And the guy that's winning is the one that's usually pursuing the one that's losing. And if he hits him with a left, the dude goes right. If he hits him with a right, the dude goes left. That's a picture of some of your lives. You're sitting around letting the devil torment your mind, torment your emotions, torment your attitude, torment your life. He's tearing up your family. He's tearing up your kids. You can't get nothing to go right. And you're just standing there like you don't know what to do. And the whole time, the secret weapons are right here in this Bible. But you're polishing your gun and you're leaving your Bible alone. And you can't ever win if you do that. It is not legalism to read your Bible. The real question is, how long do you want to be tormented? How long do you want to be hit with a left and a right? How long do you want your marriage to struggle? How long do you want to sit in this situation? How long do you want to feel this way? (laughs) I wonder if that's why we medicate and drink and smoke strange things. It's to somehow or another pretend that everything's okay. I wonder if that's why we indulge in Facebook and social media so much. Is it we're trying to hide what's really happening? Man, it's not supposed to be that way. It's not supposed to be that way. That's not what Genesis said. When God designed the whole thing originally, he designed it that Cheryl and I, come here, would walk. She didn't know this was coming. That Cheryl and I would walk, watch this, in the cool of the garden and that God would walk with us. Come on, it's going to be okay. We can keep walking. God's long-winded. That we would enjoy one another in the presence of God, that we would just enjoy and just have a great time together. That is God's intentions. Doesn't mean there's not a battle going on. It just means there's not a battle right here, baby. Right? Because mm, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Right? We're, we're designed to enjoy the favor, presence, and blessings of God. And by God, it's time for the church to start fighting for that. Amen? It's time for us to get off our laurels and start fighting for that. Enough is enough. I'm supposed to enjoy her. We're supposed to have a good time. Come on, baby, engage. Okay. I mean, I'm like, I'm like forcing you. Well, this. It looks kind of weird. weird. You know? Yeah. <laughs> We're supposed to have a good time. We're supposed to booty shake. We're supposed to run around the house, jumping and dancing and giving high fives and loving on each other. I'm supposed to chase her and she's supposed to enjoy it. Come on, somebody. It ain't sick, baby. It's natural. 
Hey, if God wouldn't have made it that way, y'all wouldn't be sitting here. been too long it's been not good for too long it's been stressful for too long I'm tired of being depressed I'm tired of being frustrated I'm tired of being aggravated I'm tired of feel like my head's up against a wall and I can't go nowhere I'm tired of being tied to this tree I'm tired of it is that anybody this morning you tired of it yet how much longer you want to go at this pace? James says to humble yourself before God. That means you go to God before you go to anybody else. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. I got an image of a dog when you kick it that it just tucks its tail between its leg and it takes off running, yelping. Don't, 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 don't. So when I resist the devil, I hear, don't, don't, don't. And the sucker's got to go. You know why? Because I believe that James is right. It's true. God's word is true. If I resist him, he will flee. And I remind him. Say, hey, Jack, you've been resisted. See you. He will flee. And then the, the last part of that is come close to God and he will come close to you. If you don't like the distance between you and God, move in a little bit closer. It's as simple as that, moving a little bit closer. So let's go back to Ephesians real quick. Chapter 6. Let me see if I can give you the, the battle plan, the strategy, the weapons. Let's back up to verse 10. I want to show you something in verse 10. The Bible says, six, chapter 6, verse 10, a final word. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Verse 11, put on all, say all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all this, all strategies of the devil. Verse 13, therefore put on every, say every, piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Paul is very clear that we're to put on all of the armor, every single piece. There's six pieces that I'm about to give you, but you got to get this before I can give you the pieces. You can't go half-dressed into a full-blown battle and expect to win. Okay. You can't go half-dressed into a full-blown battle and expect to win. If there's six pieces, you need all six. Right? James, is, I mean, Paul's very clear about that. You need every piece. Every piece counts. Every piece matters. Wear it all. Then after you battle, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Verse 14, stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. So let's walk through these. Number one, your first piece of armor is the belt of truth. In the Roman times and in, in these times when the Bible was written, the Romans would wear this belt that was made out of leather. It was a big belt and it would gird, they would gird themselves. It would support their, their midsection, which is usually the most vulnerable. And it had strips of leather that was all around it. It looked like a skirt, but it wasn't a skirt. It was manly. 
but it protected their lower extremities, okay? That belt is called the belt of truth. I'm not talking about the Bible. It's talking about the belt of truth. In other words, it's called the belt of honesty and integrity. You see, if you can't be honest with your spouse, who can you be honest with? If you can't have integrity at home, you probably don't have integrity anywhere else. If you tell your wife you're going on a date Friday, you better be at the date. If you tell your kids you're going to build the swing set, you better go build the swing set. It's called your integrity. It's your bond. It's your word. It's what you say. It's what you do. It's integrity. Amen? So the first piece of armor we have is called honesty and integrity. It's, it's represented as a belt. The, number, the second piece is this, the body armor of righteousness. Now, this isn't the righteousness that we receive when we give our lives to Jesus. This isn't right standing before God. It's not that kind of righteousness. This thing is very simple. Let's not make it no deeper than it is. It says it's the righteousness, which means good choices, good deeds, and character. Not being a character. It's called character. You know what character is? Character is who you are when nobody else is watching. Character is when the boss turns his back and you don't steal 15 minutes. Character is when the wife and the kids leave and you don't watch something you shouldn't watch. It's called character. It's called righteousness. It's good deeds and it's having character. That's your body armor. And by the way, the Romans body armor would would cover from the neck down to the waist to where the belt was. But here's the cool thing. That armor would wrap all the way around so that if the enemy got behind them, he even couldn't kill them behind them. You know, that's what's so important about character is that you character only shows up when you're by yourself. It's hard to prove character. You see, when you're by yourself, the enemy can get behind you. The Romans' body armor covered the front and the back. Your character, if your character's impeccable, people can lie about you and nobody's going to believe it. Right? Your back's covered. That kind of character. Number three, this is one of my favorites, the shoes of good news. The shoes of good news. Now, what does that mean? It's the foundation that your life is built upon. It's the good news. It's the gospel. The the Romans in those days had these sandals with some long spikes on them. And so when it was time to engage in battle, they would dig their feet in deep. And those spikes were there to help them stand their ground. Now, the Bible calls those shoes salvation or the gospel. I'm sorry. They calls those shoes the gospel. What does that mean? It means this, that my life is supported by, held up by, standing firm by the fact that God sent his one and only son to die on the cross for me. And that when he died on the cross for me, all of my sins could be forgiven and they could be washed away. And that when he rose from the grave, I could now have a new life. That's the gospel. My feet are sunk in the gospel. They're holding firm in the gospel. When the enemy comes against me, I go, hey, bro. I make mistakes, but Jesus still died on the cross. Don't you forget, devil, Jesus died on the cross, and I believe it. Get you some of that. Right? My feet are shotted. They're stuck in the ground on the gospel. 
on the fact that Jesus died for me. That's why we take communion once a month, to remind ourselves of what Jesus did for us. Why? Because I want your feet to stick. I don't want you to lose your ground. The best running backs in the NFL ain't worth a, a flip if they, can't, if they can't catch any traction. Right? The shoes are the good news. Is your life built on the gospel? Is it grounded on the gospel? Number four was the shield of faith. And this represents your faith in God. Now watch this. The Roman shield was two and a half foot wide. It was four foot tall. It was made for the the Roman soldier when he was under intense battle to actually squat down and get behind the shield. It was two foot, two and a half foot wide, four foot tall. He could take on any, anything from the enemy and hide behind what? His faith. His faith. He could hide behind his faith. The thing that protected him was his trust in God. He, if the enemy came too strong, boom, he would set up the shield, protected, bro. Your faith protects you. Are you seeing this? Your shield is your faith. You know what the enemy's after? He wants you to put your shield down. You know, if you don't get up in the morning and grab your shield before you head out the door, you're vulnerable. That's why he said to put on all the armor, every piece. Don't go half-dressed into a full battle. You need every piece. Because listen to me, he's coming at you with everything he's got. He's got one plan for your life, and you better be fully aware of this. It's to kill, steal, and destroy your life. That's the only thing the enemy has for you. He's not full of grace. He's not full of mercy. He don't take a break and he ain't giving up on you. Not until Jesus returns and ends the whole deal. Now watch this. Your fifth piece is the helmet of salvation. Now this is super cool. The helmet of salvation. Yes, it was a helmet to protect your head. But it's called the helmet of salvation. My concordance in my Bible tells me that the helmet of salvation was a helmet that protected your head, but it also made you look taller. Come on, for some of you, that's a good news. Right? Come on, can I get a witness, all you short folks? Hey, I'm a little taller. What? It, 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 it describes as making the Roman soldier look taller, watch this, and more impressive. You know something? The devil never got impressed with you until you gave your life to Jesus. In fact, some of you would sit here and say, you know what? I was, life was a whole lot easier before I met Jesus. I didn't know what spiritual warfare was until I met Jesus. No, that's because you was fighting on the other side. When you give your life to Jesus, the Bible says that you become impressive. It's not a prideful kind of impressive. It's that the demons and the enemy looks at you and goes, oh, shoot. He's bigger than I thought. He's more impressive than I thought. Are you seeing this? It's called the helmet of salvation. I thought that was real cool. You don't seem to be impressed with it, but that's okay. I'm going to keep preaching because it's the helmet of salvation. It's to protect my head. 
Have you ever had the thought, man, I don't even know if I'm saved. You ever thought that? How many of you thought that? Come on, show me this morning. You've just gone, I don't even know if I'm saved today. I wonder if that was when you took your helmet off. I wonder if that's when you forgot that you were saved, when you forgot what went through the process, what Christ did, what God did to save you, the faith it took to save you. I wonder if that's when you left home without your helmet. You see, I believe we should wake up in the morning and one of the first things we should say is, Lord, thank you for saving me. Not just with eternal salvation, but even daily salvation. Right? Lord, thank you for saving me. The helmet of salvation, it's impressive. Number six. Now, this is pretty cool because the first five were all weapons, are all parts of armor to protect you. So you've got five pieces that are there to protect you. And you've only got one to fight back with. That tells me there's a whole lot of stuff coming at us. Right? That tells me there's a whole lot coming at us. And see, some of you walked in this morning clueless. Didn't even realize you was in a spiritual battle. You've just been taking licks and you thought that was life. Five pieces to protect you. One piece to fight back with. I go, man. This thing is serious. This thing is bigger than I thought. I'm not, my goal is not to get you to act weird. My goal is to get you to act like a soldier and fight the battle that's in front of you. Number six is the sword of the spirit, which represents the word of God. Now, I find this one to be very, very interesting because I always thought that the sword of the spirit, which it's true, that is, it's the word of God. Okay, like the whole combined word of God. So I thought that, you know, this word of God was going to be my sword. What I didn't realize and what theologians believe is that when when the Bible used the sword of the spirit as the word of God, that they were talking about a specific word of God for a precise moment. Now, let me help you with this. We must know The Bible. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Okay? You must know the Bible. Okay. (laughs) Getting worried about you. We as believers need to know the word of God. We have to know it. Watch this. Why? Because when the enemy comes against you, you need a specific word for a precise moment. Jesus gets baptized with the Holy Spirit, comes out the water. The whole, the, the, he gets baptized with water. He comes out the water. The Holy Spirit descends upon him on the, like a dove. A voice from heaven says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased, right? Glorious moment for Jesus. He's like, yeah, God just spoke good about me. Woo! He walks straight into the desert into a battle. The moment you give your life to Jesus, you go straight into the desert and you go into a battle. Jesus is in the desert with the devil and the devil's got a free reign to torment him as much as he wants to. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus was tempted in every temptation known to man. 
Man, man, that's a lot. The devil comes at him. First thing he hits him with is in the gut. I can relate. That would be the first thing he, he, he would hit me at. You know you're hungry. Yeah, you know I am. I'll give you 50% of my salvation for a sandwich. I'd probably buckle. I mean, I'm just saying. But he comes at him like that. What does Jesus do? Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of God's mouth, right? Jesus had a specific word for a precise battle. Now, what Jesus didn't do was when the enemy tempted him, Jesus didn't say, time out. Go to the back of his Bible. Temptation. Temptation. Come on. Temptation. What is it talking about? I know the Bible says something about temptation. Maybe that wouldn't work. Jesus didn't do that. It's too late. There's no timeouts in spiritual battle. You got to have this thing. Listen to me. You got to have it. And you got to have it in such a way that you can use it in a split moment. That didn't work. In a split moment. You follow me? You got to have a right now word for a right now battle. 